we have thoughts or uh, questions, things that stuck out or things, confusion, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah, I think like, um, I guess my question centers around like kind of like what I was like talking to you about, I think maybe Tuesday night or something, like when it comes to kingdom to come, like this perspective and like, um, but I was saying like it kind of at times feels like drawing back into monasticism or what I like to call like do nothingism. Like when I look at like just some historical interactions of the church, like for, say for instance, like the book of Acts, like one of the reasons for, one of the reasons that it was written was so that, you know, they could show that Christianity wasn't something that was going to be a threat to, you know, the, the government that they were under. And that was one way that they were interacting with, I guess, the, the law, the government, the powers that were over them in order to, to live peaceably. And so, like, um, when it comes to, like, interacting with society and being light and salt, like, then when it comes to the church, like, um, actually being light and salt in the community, like, I think the thing that sometimes I see in Kingdom to Come theology that may be a blind spot is that if we see an act of injustice, it sometimes just turns into, I'll pray for you, and in the light of what's to come, then, then you'll get recompense. But, um, I think like um, just to add balance to it, like being light and salt in our society also means like interacting with those things that we see because one of the things I even see like in the prophets was God wasn't just displeased with them because of their religious rituals, but because of the oppression that they saw and they did nothing about. Um, so when it comes to like having that balance of like um even loving your neighbor and say for instance with the uh, the law of abortion like one of the things that we do is that we pray for it and we you know we cry out to God we cry out before God for it but um, another thing that they do is they, they go to the clinics you know they stand just as a just as a witness um, of, of repentance but also like when it comes to our society like we're not necessarily, I don't necessarily see it as if I try to like pass an act, pass a law that says um, let's not do abortion in this country. I'm not saying to the unbeliever, you know, I hate you, but I'm saying like even as a prophetic witness, if you don't turn from this, then you know that's going to have eternal consequences. But even like in a temporal setting, like we want to do our best to save the lives that are around us. like. Like, how do you see that situation? Like, how to interact yeah, I mean, with... Like you're saying. It's, when you declare a future kingdom, that doesn't... That doesn't have any any bearing one way or the other with right now. One, one way or the other. It's a matter of what you do in light of that. And so, like... Uh, you know, like Micah 3, where it says, But as for me, I'm filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord, 
and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So you, you have three options in any unjust situation. You walk, you ignore it, you deal temporal recompense, or you witness against it, right? And, and, and these two aren't conflated together. You can't say these two are the same thing. So we definitely don't want to do the monastic bit and walk away from the world. That, that's not the heart of God. It's not what he's about. But we don't want to do the, the kingdom now bit and deal out temporal judgment like the Inquisition. The witness bit is something entirely different to say what you're doing is wrong and there is judgment coming and there may be judgment in this life for it too. It may not be. You may go along prosperous to the day you die or you may lose everything. God's sovereign over both of those ways. But we want to give witness to the eternal. And so whether it's with the abortion thing, you know, walking away and saying that killing babies by, by, by not saying anything about it at all is obviously the wrong thing to do. But then judging those outside the church and murdering abortion doctors, that's obviously the wrong thing to do. So the right thing to do is the witness bit. Right. So we but again, it all comes down to how it's perceived and what it means in the scenario. So like it's with Paul where he's taken money from some churches. He won't take money from a church that he's coming into with the gospel because he wants it's all about how he perceives the inner motives and what the what gospel is being taught and how it's received and how it's the, the manner in which the, the information's being conveyed, whether with haughtiness or with fear and trembling. My message didn't come to you with haughty words and la la la. My message came to you with fear and trembling so that you, you, you your faith would rest on demonstration of the cross. That's this point, another, another. Anyway, so the, the point is, is in how we witness that the, 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 what ends up happening even with because when unbelievers see the folks on the street corners, they don't interpret that. That doesn't come across with a message of repent because there's a lake of fire standing in front of you. That comes across with there's a group that have written statements that they're going to take over the government, and with a gun they're going to come shut this down and put me in jail. That's what it comes across to them, right? They, they don't. They don't see or hear the gospel in that generally, not always. But that's the point is that what the church's purpose in this age is the preaching of the gospel. That's what we're called and commissioned to, right? So we want to witness in such a way that that gospel actually gets preached. And there's various dynamics to that. It's what we say. It's how we say it. It's the difference between the church and the world and relating to the two differently and these kinds of things. So. Yeah. I think like my only... Well, I guess like I'm looking at it too from a different perspective. Like we're looking at it from the side of the church that's witnessing and also from the the side of the world that's opposing. But now I'm also looking at it from the people that are suffering. Like what's the witness to them? Like if the church doesn't do anything to stand in the gap, it's kind of like, does God love or care? Like we can say it, 
But like if, if we don't, even if like we do something and not, and I don't mean something, do something like as um, on the extreme measure of, you don't agree with us, we're going to chop your head off. No. What I'm saying like is the church standing there as salt, like trying to hold back wickedness, like as, as much as we can, but not in a way where I'm trying to oppress the people who disagree. But what I'm saying is, if you're going to take an innocent life and there is an opportunity for me to stand up for the, the voice of the life that, you know, that's not here yet or the person that's being oppressed, then I think like in showing love, even for our neighbor who cannot, you know, speak up for themselves, the oppressed, then like that's, that's the only, I guess, side of that perspective that sometimes I think is, is missed. Like we look at it from the church as the witness. We look at it as speaking to the world that's opposing, but we also have to look at it from, I guess, the side of those who are being oppressed. Like how does the church become an effective witness? And again, like this, just from what I see, like even in the prophets, like God is telling them, stand up for those who are oppressed. And I'm not saying take it to the extreme measures, but I'm just saying like, and all that you can do what you can do to live peaceably. And that's even like having a peaceable life for those who are not able to speak up for themselves. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is the point is we want to, walk in justice and righteousness like God is and like God will do and and you know we want to walk in that tension and if we can if we can demonstrate the rightness and upright character of God then we have to and we ought to but it's not a matter of extreme measure or not extreme measure usually it's just a matter of how do we interpret what's going on so we give a brother clothes when he's clothed when he's cold. It it just means that he was cold and now he's not. That's all it means, unless you give information to that, right? Then you, the purpose of the church is to give information about what's going on in the scenario because lots of people give cold people clothes, and all it is is just to soothe their conscience or to get a tax write off. Or whatever, you know what I mean. So we just want to add to righteousness information called the gospel that then loves people in the ultimate sense and saves them and gives them eternal life. So yeah, I mean you get that throughout the prophets and, and you know First John and James, where it's like tell a brother, you turn a brother away out in the cold, and don't take care of his physical needs, and say God bless you. That doesn't. That doesn't mean anything to anybody, you know. But you give a brother clothes and you say, well, it's because, you know, it's because we have such a big heart. And we, we, we're we not like other people. You know, we take care of people. And that's what you tell them. It's just like, awesome, you have a great social movement. And that's that. Like, nobody ultimately, the, the information doesn't convey ultimate reality at all. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. <clears throat> yep. Like the thoughts that I had on this um, is that 
Like the our witness is not just only limited to only what we say. It's a big the what we say, like the preaching of the gospel and teaching of the gospel has to come through words Word because indeed. of the hearing. But it also has to come through our actions because what we believe and what we think is manifested also in how we live and how we treat people. So I think like like my interpretation of this is that I just think about you know how um, in every situation where Jesus taught and preached, then he also there was also a demonstration of some kind, whether it was a miracle or whatever, whether he fed people, whether like he had compassion on people and stuff like that. And I just think that Except like I asked, Gentiles. I asked this, I asked the same question with Hans during our um, during our retreat. Because this just keeps coming back to my mind, and it's also because of who I am and you know who, the experience that I've had. But I think it's just even beyond that too. And that I think about the fact that we're even able to sit here. You're even able to sit in here in this room, in this place, and teach. And 98% of the people in this room, like if it weren't for the civil rights movement would not even be here. You wouldn't even be able to sit here and teach the gospel. And so I think that like things like the civil rights movement, which was a biblically led, um, a biblically led thing. I feel like things like that the Lord uses as justice now not to say that like the kingdom is here now and fully like whatever it's not that extreme but the, I believe like the Lord can uses things like that and he allows things like that to happen in order for opportunities to open so that more people can come to the Lord and hear the gospel and like I just wrote down like um that there are like how you talked about first fruits right and I, I feel like like these elements of justice that are, that can happen now, if we're available to the Lord using us that way, are first fruits of what is to come. You know, like and so even us sitting here and being able to hear you teach right now is a first fruit of what is to come. Like if the civil rights movement hadn't happened that way, if people hadn't died, if the gospel wasn't taught through speeches and different things, and also through nonviolent um, protest. And in that protest, it was even through song, even through action, even through prayer, constant prayer, like prayer room. It wasn't just inside of the four walls of the church. It was like <laughs> some serious stuff going on. Like the fruits of that is us being able to sit here now and being equipped and prepared to go out to the rest of the world to bring more souls to Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a I think it's a good example. However, um, and, and that's the that's the point of you know sometimes justice now interprets eternal justice. Sometimes justice now doesn't. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. You know, did the tower fall on those guys? Was it any worse than the other? However, you know. and, and so, yes, it can be interpreted in such a way. And I think, you know, it, if the justice movement 
points to the ultimate justice movement, then it's true. And it, and it gives interpretation to what's happening in the eternal sense, then it's true. If it doesn't give interpretation in the ultimate sense, then it's false, right? And so you have aspects of that, even with the civil rights movement, where, um, you know, that there's, obviously you're talking about the good things that come out, but then you ask, what does, what is the broad product of, of, of African American Christianity after the civil rights movement. And you have to say it's, it's pretty rough. I mean, in a broad sense of when you look at what the black church looks like today and how it functions. And I'm not saying that whatever, I'm, or is the oppressive white man, or I don't know. Irish descent, right? My forefathers came over after slavery ended. I don't, you know, Ireland never had any colonies anywhere. It's always just been a weird little. So I'm just saying, like, uh, if we if we interpret the the justice movement happening now in the ultimate sense and set people's eyes on the justice to come in the eternal thing, then it can be if we give it the right gospel, then amen. But when the justice movement happens that's temporal, it doesn't have the gospel attached to it, and it's just a temporal gospel that happens, then that thing really is a false, it's a false justice movement. And even if it establishes temporal justice, it's false in the end, because it doesn't go past itself. You know? So you can have you can have two poor people fed at the same time. One is true, the other's false. Whether the false is completely humanitarian or whether the false just leads to the glory of man in this age or whatever, the, 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 the one that makes it true establishes people in the eternal perspective. The one that makes it false doesn't establish them in the eternal perspective. You see what I'm saying? So that's all we're trying to, just in this session, is to establish was we have to have the eternal perspective in mind so that when we interpret the things that happen, that's what it becomes. We can attach the right information to it, whether by word or deed, we attach the right gospel to it, so then it has eternal meaning and value. And that's in anything that happens in our lives, whether it's that's how you get true one miracles versus false miracles. That's how you get true teaching versus false teaching. That's how you get True apostles versus false apostles. One ends in this age, the other endures to the age to come. You see what I'm saying? So that's all we want to do in relation to the to the uh, the issue of all the social movements that are being pushed by believer and unbeliever, liberal, conservative. I mean, it's just like a wave going across the church right now that you know we just want to keep our head in the midst of it. We don't want to pull back and say, oh, all that social justice stuff is, is just wrong and it's lost. We don't want to do that. The same way we don't want to, you know, deal with, oh, it's just perverted televangelist miracles thing. We don't want to just pull back from the ministry and gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? We want to engage with truth and, and uh, walk in it, you, you know, as the Lord would have us.
Thank you for explaining that. I do have to say, though, on the comment about the black church, um, I think we need to be careful when we teach, like, to just, mm, okay, let me, like, every, let me just say that every culture, even within the, the body of Christ, every culture has something that needs to be redeemed and something that the Lord has made great revelation about who he is and what he is doing. So um, I think we just need to be really careful with that because um, there are many things that are that have come out of that have come out of um, not just in the United States but worldwide that have come out of freedom movements that even the movements that were not led by Christians they happen to be here in the United States it was but that have been of God, I believe, and um, many positive things have happened through that. So when we look at the black church, there's an overarching like, spiritual war that's going on that is not just about um, what we can see, like we're talking about what we can see with our own eyes and what's to come and what, like, what we see that is an overall like, social and principality issue when it comes to social things. So that's like a deeper issue that can't, be paralleled with what we're talking about now, I don't think. So I, I appreciate what you said, but I don't think that it was right when you said, well, look at the black church now, what's come out of it. That I think that was a very faulty statement. <laughs> no, I, I, I apologize if that was offensive. I, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't condemning on a broad level. I was just saying, you know, it's, and obviously, you know, there's obviously good things. It, it both white and black in the U.S. and mixed together and all the above. It's just you have a. Uh, my awareness of the African American church is heavily prosperity prosperity gospel oriented, and so that's all I was referencing. Not that much different than the you know the predominantly white church. Also heavily prosperity oriented. That's what I said. Like, saying, like, every culture has things that need to be redeemed and things that the Lord, you know, so uh, anyway. No, all, all I was saying was that the, the I, I just don't want you to mishear me that that I was speaking down or something. All I was saying was the civil rights movement didn't fix the problem of what gospel is being preached. That's all I was saying in the situation. You, you see what I'm saying? So if it was, if it was, it, as long as the, the, thing that happens has the gospel attached to it, then that's good. But we don't want to glory in something that that results in a good now, but doesn't result in a good eternally. You see what I'm saying? I do understand, and I just, we have two different perspectives on it. We disagree, so I appreciate what you're saying, though. I just don't agree from that particular example. Other questions? I think that the point is we don't want to overcorrect the problem. Just an example, I, I went to a Bible college, okay? I majored in Bible and minor in social work. And it was a very, very solid kingdom future premillennial college. Definitely, totally kingdom future, definitely uh, not at all kingdom now. Okay. And yet, there were a lot of folks who said, Culture work is bad because 
this liberal thing. It's, and pre-mills shouldn't be involved in social work. Now, the school I went to tried very hard to keep it also in the center of social work. The course was in the center. They also looked at them and put the around the cross. It was a cross-centered social work program. So we tried our best to keep, uh, keep it in the center, keep the cross in the center. But we were still condemned because I think it was over-correctionalism. Because they felt social work, that's bad. And so I think that's, that's the issue. It's a little tension there is we don't want to over-correct the problem. Well, it's not even... It, my point is not so much over-correct. It's just correct the problem, right? I'm going to say the same thing whether it's the civil rights movement or whether it's feeding the poor or whether it's dealing with sex trafficking or whether it's dealing with abortion, right? If you're just feeding people and now they're out of poverty, the end scenario, if the gospel isn't attached, is not helpful because they're ending in a lake of fire. It, whether that's for women that are delivered as sex trafficking or the, the, or babies that are born or not born, I, I agree. It's hideous. Enslavement's hideous. Grinding the face of the poor is hideous. Perversion's hideous. That's why judgment's coming on the earth. But if we do a temporal justice thing now and the poor are fed, they're just fed for the slaughter. They're, they're just freed for the slaughter. They're just, you see what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm not saying that, and, and ultimately, like where you and I are disagreeing is to say that I'm saying that a temporal justice thing that happens ultimately has no value. And if you want, and I guess it may have value, but in the end, what happens? You know, so this is why, like in the New Testament, you have, unjust situations, and the bringing of the justice to the situations isn't the ultimate point. People can slave, can remain as slaves, or if you buy your freedom, that's good too. People can remain under oppressive situations. If you become oppressed, that's good too. People can be poor. If you can get money, that that's good too. But as long as the end of all of it is attached to the eternal reality, and ends on the day of the Lord with blessing, honor, and eternal life rather than condemnation, fire. You, you see what I'm saying? So that's that's all I'm trying to push across. I'm, I'm not trying to like make some big statement about, oh, shame on this, oh, shame on that. That's not, not my point at all. But I, I just want to establish this. <clears throat> I think in the past, you're right, it's been a disengagement perspective because it, it uh, both this heavenly destiny and lacks centrality of the cross in, in the equation. So that's always been like the, the main issue in missions is do you do evangelism or do you do mercy deeds? And it's like, no, you got to do both. I mean, you got to communicate to people by word and deed that God loves them. But you got to say more than that. You got to say what that means. God loves them and wants them to be saved from what they deserve. What did they deserve? You see what I'm saying? So we got we got to attach to what we're doing and how we're living a, a message that holds true to the end. So could you like say that success in this age is more defined by us making disciples than by us changing situations? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's proven throughout history that those who are disciples and repent in light of the wrath to come tend to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So whenever there's a, whenever people in various spheres of life and when they repent and they walk in righteousness and uprightness before God because they fear God, then things change, whether they're in the marketplace or in the civil arena or they're in music or whatever arena they're in, you know. But again, the, the we want to keep, we want to seek first that which ought to be sought first, and that's the kingdom and the age to come. And But when we seek first the change in this age and we lose sight of the eternal, then that's where you get the, things get strange. Yeah. I think that you just got to, you know, look at Jesus in the first coming. It's like doing miracles and feeding the poor. You know, and he knows demons might come back seven times stronger. You know, like people might get hungry again. But he sees the main issue is that the main oppression or the main injustice or whatever is the bondage to sin. And that thing, you get fed, but if you don't get rid of your bonds of sin, you're going to go to a lake of fire. Mm-hmm. So he cuts short whatever, you know, people could, could have said, hey, Jesus, go on a campaign, and we're going to feed all the poor in the earth, and we're going to mm-hmm. do the break, we're going to do the whole thing. We're going to do it at a grand, you know, universal level. We're going to build this empire to our government. And he's like, that's going to happen at the day of the Lord. But if I don't bear sin, people are going to, get judged, you know, by the Lord, and so he so he comes to bear sin, and, and so if we see our ministry, if we don't disconnect the gospel as, a, as its own justice movement, we just think of it as like, who cares if you give people the gospel, they're going to be hungry, and we, we see the main need of people as like, temporal things. Yeah. It just, it, it's it's not the, we just got, I just feel like we got to connect the gospel as a, the main justice movement. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the guy who comes along and says that he's going to raise up all the peoples of the earth with uh, with an imperishable body and he fills a big valley with fire and throws the wicked in, I'll follow that guy. You know what I mean? We just got to, this is why we start out with the, the eternal justice, the, the ultimate justice reality, the day of justice. Then we can interpret the rest of, of the temporal in light of that. When I was a new believer, um, I served in a soup kitchen. I was in a church. It wasn't the church that I was in, but um, and uh, because I guess because there was government funding and stuff, I found it the most odd thing that I was told that I couldn't talk to them about Jesus. The people that are coming in hungry and serving, and we're feeding them in a church. Um, so it was just feeding the hungry and getting the checks from the state to get the food to be able to feed them. And uh-huh. coming from a perspective of, you know, they have starvation that's more than their physical body, you know. Right. Um, and so that's obviously, you know, what's being spoken about here. Um, so it was really doing nothing. I mean, you know, you're giving them a brown bag and that's a nice thing, and they're hungry people, but that's not what Jesus is after. Right. Um, and I recently, last year, was trained um, 
and uh, as a crisis responder with CRI, Crisis Response International. And a, a good um, example to what you're saying is, um, you know, being deployed with Sandy in Long Island, and there were a lot of other emergency workers out there and crisis responders out there. Um, but, you know, and as we were going in and cleaning up debris and helping people in their homes, um, the preaching of the gospel is what set it apart as a true justice reach, right. is to what you're saying, because it, it wasn't... It wasn't just the temporal, and it is a wonderful thing to help people, and we should help people. But as believers, um, there's a there's a far greater purpose and end that needs to be the utmost concern. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm just sharing that simply to say that that just paralleled very easily to me what what is a one work of temporal help. Yeah. And what is what is the fullness of the whole human being? Right, right. Um, so uh, that's you know the outcome is their salvation. Yeah. I guess what I guess part of what I'm saying is because <clears throat> Michelle and I were together, right? So the point is not that um, is that both that they're they're synonymous, like. They have to be synonymous to me. I don't believe that the Lord is saying that preach the gospel means only speak the word and only teach alone. Like, they have to be married together. And if they're not, it's it's not complete. Like, I don't, to see, to preach the gospel and to go and to, to teach people a word, but then not to live it and not to live it before them. I don't believe that. That's... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they they should be synonymous. I don't think they necessarily have to be. But you, you know, like you can have somebody hear the message in a hypocritical situation. They can hear the truth and relate to God in the truth and see your hypocrisy in it. You, you see what I'm saying? But let's just do away with the hypocrisy. Let our word and deed go together and make the message effective. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I guess we're saying we're not, we're not denigrating social justice. No, we're not denigrating social justice at all. We're just, we're just urging for, look, let's put a gospel to that social justice, you know what I mean? And let's seek first the eternal and social justice in in keeping with the eternal, and and then we got something for a message with word and deed attached to it, but but then you separate it and you just do the the, the now and you don't do the eternal. That thing's totally dead in the water. You just do the eternal without the now, and it's mostly dead in the water, and so. I think I heard you say from Psalm 72, feed the poor, and then you tell them, hey, look, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to feed all the poor. There will be no more poor. And you give them a witness of the Messiah, and, you know, you, and then you, you give them the way into that, you know. Yeah. And just, it's the good news of the gospel. It's just, that's what we're called to proclaim. Yeah. If 
you don't do that, then they go, it's the gospel of a man. And it's just like, hey, man will feed me. But that's just not true, you know? Like, right. The reason you're poor is probably because of man. Your hope is not in man. And your hope is not in this age. And your hope is not in an agency or a political figure or technology. Because all of these things have... We've had these things for hundreds of years, and the poor still exist. And in fact, they get oppressed even more, you know, systematically, uh, with more education, technology, and political leaders. It's sin. It's like one comes to eradicate sin, and that's why the justice issues will all come, right. because sin will be up here.